In today's episode, Todd Friedman introduces to us the concept of the four rights and how they can transform your marketing and sales. Check it out. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the do zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. Everybody sucks until they don't. Todd Freeman. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas. If you haven't already, check out thedozone.com for productivity tips, accountability, and overall just a great bunch of amazing human beings looking to get more stuff done. Once again, that's thedozone.com. Our guest today is the author of that quote, Mr. Todd Freeman, and uh, one of one of my good friends. I'm super excited to have him on here. After losing his dream job as an exotic sports car mechanic during the 2008 financial crisis, a much-needed solo trek across Europe opened Todd's eyes to the world of travel. And it was at this point he realized a major change needed to be made. With next to no skills or help when it came to business, Todd set out to build a business that would allow him to live a life on his terms and provide the freedom to travel. Todd, say what's up to our Do Zone tribe here. Welcome to the Do Zone. And tell me something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. What's going on, Do Zone? How's everyone doing? Um, key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think about. Um, you know, the thing I've been realizing lately, and you know, it's funny because my desk is an absolute mess, but I I think having a very clean place to work, I I've been realizing, I think helps with productivity. Yeah. Well said, you know, kind of decluttering a little bit of business self-care, if you will. Yes. Which we've discussed. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, that's one of the, one of the often overlooked, components of running a successful business is you got to take care of it. You have to water the plants or they won't grow. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we make an analogy sometimes about, think about the last time you went without a shower and how long did that have like the, what's your world record for not having showered? And it's probably only a few days, maybe like a week or something at most. Two weeks for me, I was on an outward bound course. Two weeks. There we go. That's nasty, Todd. <laughs> it was outward bound. I was in the middle of the, like, the woods of Maine and New Hampshire. There's no showers in, in all the woods in Maine and New Hampshire. Come on. <laughs> Very well. But the idea there is, you know, okay, so it's kind of crazy that somebody went two weeks without a shower, but how long has it been before since you cleaned up and kind of did a hygiene maintenance routine with your business or with your workspace or something like that? And so having a clean desk, having, having less clutter it allows you to increase that confidence and focus on things. And you're not worried about what kind of diseases are developing from your nasty desk. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, so talk to me a little bit about this. Uh, you, you were working on exotic cars. First of all, that sounds really cool. Tell me about that. And then, and then tell me a little bit about kind of why that ended for you. So, you know, I, I had always been into cars. And I was also very much into punk rock growing up. 
And one of the ethos of punk rock is this whole kind of DIY mindset, you know? So like one of my old bands, you know, we pretty much recorded all of our own music. You know, when we were much younger, we couldn't afford, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour in a studio. So, you know, we'd go and we'd buy a four track recorder and we would record on our own. Uh, when it came to booking shows, you know, we'd find people that, you know, we necessarily weren't working at or uh, playing at clubs. We were playing at, you know, like basements and church halls. And that's how we came up with tours. So when it came to me getting a license, I said, well, you know, repairs are expensive. And right now I'm the only person in my band that has a license and has a car. Should probably learn how to fix cars. Uh, and that's it kind of just blossomed from there. And then I just decided, you know, I want to I want to work on cool stuff. I don't want to just be like, a, you know, your average Honda mechanic or your average like Chevy mechanic. I want to. I wanted to do something that not a lot of people could say that they do. So that's when I kind of got the idea of let's, let's fix Ferraris. Let's, you know, so an exotic sports car. And it took some time to find the right place to work at. But finally I found a place uh, just outside of Boston where I grew up and I went there basically to say, Hey, you know, would you want just like an extra shop hand, you know, clean the floors, go pick up parts, so on and so forth. They were like, yeah, we'd love that. Like, why do you want to do this? I'm like, well, I fix cars for a living. Like I'm working at a BMW dealership, but this is what I want to do. Like, I want to work on these kinds of cars. And they hired me. I did that for probably a month or no, like a, probably a year, year and a half. And then finally, one day this just said, let's give this guy a shot. Let's see what he can do. And up until, up until the economy collapsed in 08, it was awesome. And then once that happened, you know, my boss didn't necessarily fire me, but it was kind of like, I don't have work for you because I got to keep my other two guys fed yeah. who are way more experienced than actually bring in more money. So I had to find other things to do. And so, uh, well, and just out of curiosity, what was from, from that experience uh, of working on the, just the highest in the highest level cars that exist on this planet? First of all, what was the coolest car you ever worked on? And, and secondly, what's something that maybe you learned about working on these exotics, as, as we call them, that maybe you is different than what you were doing with, you know, Hondas and BMWs? Right. Um, trying to think the coolest car I ever worked on. Uh, so this was right when like Lamborghini just started their relaunch. And my boss's father was actually the head of Lamborghini parts and technical services. So I was actually helping him one day uh, take a Lamborghini Gallardo apart. That was that was an interesting time. Uh, a lot of vintage Ferraris. You know, we had um, we had a lot of very rare cars in the shop. But yeah, some some Lambos, some you know older Ferraris that we got to work on. So one thing that I learned from that um, attention to detail. When you work on an exotic sports car, you have to not only just have attention to detail, but you have to be able to, you know, and I, I know this is kind of a generic kind of thing to say, but you have to think outside the box a lot because with, especially the ones from the eighties, you know, the technology that they used was um, not exactly the smartest and, you know, to diagnose certain things, you kind of had to take yourself out of the typical way you would go through a diagnostics and look at other things sometimes to be able to find the problem. Whereas okay. with a Honda, you know, you just plug it straight into the computer and it says, here's the issue. 
So be, because the because of the exotic title, it's it's a lot more complicated and it's it's less intuitive in a way. And so that attention to detail becomes apparent. Right. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. So on a lot of the ones from like the 80s and 90s, this is before uh, computer diagnostics really became a thing. You know, you would have these books that would you know show you like wiring diagrams. The wiring diagrams were more of a suggestion and because <laughs> nine times out of 10, you would say, okay, so this wire here, it's a green wire that goes from that number on the connector to that sensor over there. But the wire is actually blue and the one next to it is green, which goes to the second part of the sensor. So it's like, did the guy who write this maybe went out and had a bit too much wine during lunch and came back and said, yeah, that works. You know, let's just hope that same guy didn't get hired to like wire bombs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. So and, and then as you were as you were kind of transitioning out, uh, you know, hey, I'm not firing you, but, uh, you know, don't come into work anymore. Uh, where were you at that point? What, how did that impact you and, and, and how did you respond? Oh, dude, it was the worst. It was, you know, you work and I think everyone in, in the entrepreneurial journey goes through this. But, you know you work so hard to build something that you're proud of. And that, you know, like that, that at the time, that was the goal. It's like, that's what I wanted to do. And so I got there and, you know, things blossomed in life because of it. You know, I, I ended up getting a place, uh, you know, I, I got the girl that I was looking for, for a while. I had the job, like life was on the right track. And then it all just kind of came crashing down. And I had no idea what the heck to do with myself. Uh, you know, I, I worked at, a, uh, a Land Rover dealer for, I think, four months. I hated every second of it. And they ended up firing me, thankfully. And then I just, I went on unemployment for a bit and said, I don't really know what exactly I'm going to do, but I'll figure it out. And, you know, maybe working for someone else isn't the way to go. You know, my father's had his own CPA firm for, you know, now 40 years. His parents had their own business. Like they figured it out. I'm sure I can. So it was just a lot of, a lot of figuring things out at that point. So what did you ultimately figure out? Like you're, you're in this transition period, you had all of the things that you wanted and then just like that, they're, you know, not necessarily gone, but they're definitely changing. Right. And so what did you ultimately decide to do and, and how did you get there? So uh, a friend of mine at the time uh, coerced me into trying real estate and in the Boston area, apartment rentals are a huge thing because it's such a large college town. Uh, but it just ended up becoming such a rat race. And again, you know, I just, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't work for a good company. They didn't really show me the ropes. Uh, so, you know, I did that for probably about six months. I made a little bit of money, but not much. Um, and then I ended up going back on unemployment and just kind of, you know, I, I think I eventually moved back in with my folks at the time and, you know, I spent my days sleeping a lot and sitting on my laptop, but eventually I just, you know, um, I think I ended up on some like uh, online webinar about how to make, you know, $100,000 a year online, uh, got roped into one of those and some, you know, $2,000 course or excuse me, 1997 course. Um, and obviously at that point I didn't make six figures online, but the skills that I learned from it are what eventually brought me into what I'm doing today, which is running a digital marketing agency and an appointment generation agency. 
You know, uh, for for our our do zone tribe, I, I think that that story really resonates. It certainly does with me um, because I 2008 didn't cost me my job, but it was a time of transition for me away from what I was doing. Yeah. And a similar journey, you know, I, I sat down one night and I don't remember, but I typed something stupid into Google, like how to make money online, you know, or something yep. stupid. And I found a bunch of answers and none of those answers <clears throat> ultimately panned out for me. But the knowledge that I gained from the study and the research and the connections that I made and the relationships that I built eventually did start to bear fruit. I just needed to stick with it for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened with me. And, you know, it was always, it was a thing that was always evolving. So, you know, the, the first thing I think I tried, it was, it was essentially like, you know, here's how to make an info product and sell it online. But the majority of what they were teaching was teach other people how to make money online. You know, it was that whole concept back then of, you know, hey, you want to make a million dollars online? Here's a $7 ebook that'll teach you how to do that. And what does the $7 ebook tell you? How to write a $7 ebook to teach people how to make a million dollars online. So it just was That's this so meta. vicious circle <laughs> cycle, you know? So I was like, well, you know, I just took a trip across Europe. I know how to travel. I had a good time. I, I can show people what to do and, you know, how to like what to watch out for and everything. Um, so that was the first thing that I had tried was building almost like um, like an online content creation type of company uh, to help people travel better. And I thought I was on the right course until I saw Anthony Bourdain, No Reservation, where he went to Singapore and right before the it got into the episode, he was giving um, a speech to a bunch of uh, Singaporean students at some school. And one of the students said, so where's your favorite place in Singapore for chicken rice, which is like the national dish of Singapore. And he said, I I I've, I've never had chicken rice. And they started booing him. Something <laughs> kind of clicked at that point. It's like, wait a minute, I I've seen 10 cities in Europe. And that's about the extent of my travel. Like, well, like, how am I going to you know, do this, even though right now I don't have the means to travel again. So I had to kind of take a step back and reevaluate that and go forward, take another step back. One thing kind of led to another. I got into doing like uh, text message marketing and mobile marketing. And then the whole concept was, well, yeah, you can do that, but someone needs a website. Are you going to turn that down? I said, no. So it said, you know, now you start learning about going on to Upwork or guru.com and you find some guy and India to build the website for a couple hundred bucks. And then you kind of be like the project manager. So there was that. And then it just, you know, again, it kind of blossomed into what it is today. It, it's fascinating how we construct these paths uh, that it, when you're starting out on this journey, you have no idea where it's going to go. And nope. you're, you're finding all these extra pieces that you probably didn't even know existed until you needed to know, like you were a, you were an auto mechanic. And now you're talking with some guy in India about designing a website for you. You know, like, how does that work? How does that happen? How does somebody get there? And well, I think the really the answer to that question is, well, you started at the beginning and then the path starts revealing itself as you're walking it. Yep, absolutely. The airplane gets built while it's in the air. The ship gets built while it's out at sea. Yep. And 
and that is probably one of the strongest lessons that that I can impart on on anybody that is under any sort of influence from me whatsoever is if you wait until you have all of the things, then you're never going to have any of the things. Nope. If you wait until you're ready, you will be an old man or an old woman full of regret. Yep. And you still won't be ready. It's true. Sometimes it's true. And it's, it's, and it's not, and you know, it's, it's so, it's so hard to make people understand that. And well, I mean, you're, you're probably one of the, if, if there were a poster boy for that, then you would be on the poster. Cause you were like, Hey, I worked on cars. Now I run a digital marketing agency yeah. and I was not ready to run a digital marketing agency when I started. And you're probably still not ready, even though you're doing it and you're very successful with it. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, it's, it's one of those things you just, you know, it's, it's a constant roller coaster. Uh, it's just, that's how the industry is. You know, there, it's constantly evolving. There's constantly new things. There's constantly, you know, you're having to relearn certain things and learn new things about certain things that you've been doing one way for a year and half of it can change overnight. And obviously, you know, you're trying to deal with client expectations, delivering the results, growing the relationship, keeping the relationship. It's, it's not easy. But, you know, I think anything that's worth it in life. Yeah, well said. And so let's talk about one of the one of the ways that you were able to create success, regardless of what happened to you, is you you seem to have a knack for for spotting trends in business and, and understanding where things are headed in the future. Talk to me a little bit about that. Is uh, are you do you have like a crystal ball or, you know, what's your kind of method for really understanding where things are going by, by taking a look at what, what's happening right now? Well, I think you just have to, you have to pay attention to the market. You have to pay attention to, you know, for me running a digital marketing and a, an appointment generation agency, you know, like I said, it's a field that's constantly evolving. You have to stay on top of what's going on, but, you know, we deal with, different industries. So for the last several years, my agency has been focused on car dealerships and we still are. Um, but I'm starting to notice some writing on the wall with that industry. And I think in the next, you know, probably two to five years, it's going to get a lot, lot tougher for a lot of these, you know, single point or smaller cluster of dealerships who aren't under a large corporation, like an auto nation or um, like a group one, it's going to get a lot tougher for them for a multitude of reasons. So I, I think there's still opportunity and I think there's still an opportunity to help, especially some of these smaller guys. But I, I, th I, just, I, I don't want to say I don't believe in them anymore because I still do, but I think there are other emerging industries that are growing very quickly that also need the help of what my company does. And over the last couple of months, I've really been dialing into that industry, which is what we call residential low voltage integration. So people that do security systems in people's homes, smart homes, uh, home theaters, custom audio video throughout the house, things like that. It's a major growing market. I think I was reading something the other day. It was saying that the um, Compound annual, I think compound annual growth revenue, I think it said CAGR was about, I think it was saying like it was like 25 or 26% between 2020 
in 2026. So that, I mean, that industry is seeing massive growth. And we just realized that there weren't a lot of agencies out there serving that industry to a high level. And we've jumped in and there's been a lot of interest and we've been growing in that sector while we've maintained good work and good relationships with a lot of our current automotive customers who have been with us, you know, I think on average now three years, which for an agency, that's unheard of, you know, in the agency game, if a client sticks with you for 18 months, you're doing something right. And and I want to hear more about your, um, the, the low voltage distributors here in a moment. I'll ask you about that, but I think you, you touched on a vein that is bigger than what's happening in the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the idea of consolidation because what is happening is everything gets consolidated into this one big umbrella. And that's how capitalism tends to work because you've got one guy and he's really aggressive and he's going out there and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to open this place and this place and this place. And then I'm going to buy out my competition and I'm going to put them under the umbrella because it's more efficient. And I've got all the systems in place, you know, When's the last time that you went to Bing to look something up on the internet? You know, if you're if you're under forty years old, you probably don't even know what Alta Vista is. You know, <laughs> and, you know. So, like, search engines were consolidated by Google because they just obliterated everybody else. Yes. You know, uh, if sixty or seventy years ago, you could go to. Um, any number of a dozen different pharmacies. Now you've basically got Walgreens and you've got CVS and eventually one of them's probably going to buy out the other one. Most likely. You're getting to this point where everything is being consolidated Mm -hmm. under one roof for strategic tactical advantages in the marketplace because auto nation, which how many, how many dealerships do they own? I forget the number. I think it's upwards of 400. Yeah, hundreds. They're the largest of them all. And you can't compete with somebody who has 400 locations because they have a marketing budget that bury you. Yep. And it and that's going to continue to happen because they're not going to write or set any laws to prevent that from happening because capitalism. Right. And and so your face what do you do? To, to beat that, well, what you're doing is you're going to go further downstream where the consolidation has not yet happened because that's where all of the opportunity is. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, that's, that's, definitely that's a deeper, that's a very, very deep point that you're bringing up and you kind of skimmed over it. And that's why I wanted to go back and talk about it because you're talking about something like this is happening now and it's affecting millions of people. And so you're given the advice of saying, look, you need to go where the opportunity is because the opportunity moves. It's not always in the same place. Go ahead. Well, the, the other thing, you know, that, that's definitely one of the biggest things that's going to be happening with the business that I see is you're going to see a lot of consolidation. Uh, and, you know, every time I open up Automotive News, which is the national publication for car dealers, you know, three of the four pages towards the back are just these massive uh, merger and acquisition companies that are all like, hey, we got dealerships for sale over here. We got dealerships for sale over there. Come talk to us if you want to buy or you want to sell. And it's a major thing that's happening because a lot of these 
older guys who got into it, you know, in the glory days of like the 60s, who have been around for, you know, 50, 60 years now, they're starting to realize, you know, it's winter's coming and they're, they're getting out. Actually, I, I have a client um, who had a dealership for probably 10 years and, you know, just with everything going on in the business right now with, um, you know, just not having a lot of inventory with having semiconductor shortages and just inventory is depleted beyond belief. He just, he got tired of it and he sold to a, a larger store up the road. So now instead of that one store having just one big store, now they have a big store and a small store. But I also see as electric vehicles are coming out, uh, the manufacturers are trying to take some of the control of the sale away from the dealerships. And I think they're starting to use this whole um, shortage of inventory as a way to bring consumers online to custom order a vehicle and sort of take some of the control away from the dealers themselves. Mm. And, and that's fascinating too. I mean, gosh, we could probably go on for hours about this, yeah. uh, but just to kind of bring it back into a point, you know, you, you brought this up about electric vehicles, uh, Tesla, I'm not, I don't own a Tesla. I don't follow Tesla, but I, I do know that the majority of people who purchase a Tesla can just go on the website and buy it there. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult, if not impossible, to buy it at an actual location. Right. And, and there were even laws that there were lobbyists in the automotive industry who were trying to push for laws to make it illegal so that they could preserve their profession. And if you think about it, it's like, OK, you, you're trying to protect your uh, opportunities here. But also, like, I don't make any sense. <laughs> you know, if me, the consumer if that is the most practical way and we've advanced as a society enough to where I don't have to go like stand in some parking lot in the hot sun and talk to some dude that's trying to pressure me into buying this thing and I can just do it online. Why wouldn't I do that? Exactly. And that's what's, that's where it's going. That's the trend. That's what's going to happen. And so you either need to pivot, consolidate or get the heck out of the way, you know, because you can't fight it. It's true. Absolutely. So, so I want to I want to dig in. I want to I want to crack open your your noggin over there. I want to see how this brain works. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a little do zone diagnostic. Are you ready? All right, let's do it, man. Excellent. So it's a series of five questions I'm gonna ask every guest so that we can see how your brain ticks and soak up all the knowledge that we can. So just rapid fire, first thing that comes to your mind. Number one, what's one thing you do that helps keep you focused on your goal? One thing that helps me keep focused on my goals. Um, so I have a Google sheet document that I have on my computer and my Google drive, and I call it my daily dashboard. And ever so often I will hop in there. And the first thing I have on it is a vision board, so to speak. And I will go to that and I will look at that. And then the next page is just a list of certain things. So it's like, here's everywhere I want to travel to. Uh, I'm a car guy. Here's the cars I want to own. Uh, I don't know if you can see my amp back there. I'm also a guitarist. So there's a list of those, you know, what, what do I want to do with my family and my wife over the next 10 years? How, how do I want my family to evolve? Things of that nature, you know, are there places I want to own property? What kind, well, what do I want to have as a real estate portfolio? Things of that nature. So I look at those and I think that keeps me focused on what I'm trying to do here. Nice. So uh, a vision board in a way, or a vision spreadsheet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And uh, next question. How do you get back on track when you lose that focus? How do I get back on track when I lose that focus? Um, 
you know, that that's really tough sometimes. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of, I realize, okay, I'm off track and as much as it sucks and as much as I want to get down on myself about it, I've come to the realization. I just have to get back on track one way or another, as small as it is, as tiny as it is, like I can't stay dormant for that long because otherwise I just get in my head too much. So I think it's just a matter of, all right, I screwed up. I missed this. We just got to go, okay, let's readjust. What do we need to readjust? Get back to it now. So acknowledge the situation and take one tiny step. towards. Dude, it's, it's tough. All right. Like I, I'm my own worst critic and you know, something doesn't go the way I wanted it to go. Dude, I get down on myself. Like really bad sometimes, but it's just, I've come to the point where I've learned I can't do that anymore because I just, I stay in that box. I stay in that dark place and I have to get out of it and I have to keep moving forward because otherwise it's just not going to work. Yeah. Understood. And, and next question, who is your support group and how do they keep you accountable? Who's my support? You know, my support group, you know, part of them at least apex, the apex crew. Um, and also my wife as well, I would say, um, I, th- I think it's just a matter of, you know, we all interact online. We all interact on social media. And I know that I, there's several of the Apex members that are here in New York. So we get together once a month typically and go out for dinner and just kind of talk business, talk shop. And, you know, I might just be like, you know, sometimes like someone's like, dude, why haven't you been doing this? Why haven't you been doing that? And it's like, all right, I, I got to own up to what's going on here. And, you know, just, realizing that and having those people in my corner, it's, it's such a blessing to have. Excellent. So, yeah. So for, so for those of you listening that aren't familiar, um, Todd and I are part of a, a mastermind group called Apex, uh, and it is a group of entrepreneurs and business owners, and uh, we help each other out. We push each other forward and hold each other accountable for, for being the most elite versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so where do you draw the line, Todd, on what to do and what to delegate? I look at it in two respects. I first look at it as, am I good at it? And how much of my time is it taking up? So perfect example, uh, about two years ago, I hired a graphic designer because for several of my clients, they want website banners every month. They want email blasts. Uh, you know, Occasionally they'll need social media graphics. I can do them. I'm not great at them, but I can do them. But what I was figuring out is designing it was taking up a heck of a lot of time on my hands and time that I could be using to other, towards other things like growing the business. Same thing with uh, writing content for some of my SEO clients. I can do it. I'm not bad at it, but you know, to sit there and write you know, 20 articles about six different cars takes up a lot of time and it takes up a lot of mental power. So I found people who could do it who could do it for a reasonable price. And I said, well, is that what I'm going to pay these people? Is it worth it to get that time back? Absolutely. Yeah, well said, man. And uh, last question, what's the number one pro tip you'd give to someone who is looking to get more stuff done in less time? Get more stuff done in less time. Um, Get this the hell away from you. Is what I would say. He's pointing at his smartphone here. On yes, that. get that the hell away from you. If you want to get done more stuff done in less time, make sure that is not around you. I, I will be the first to admit that is probably one of the biggest distractions in my life. Now, 
to an extent I need it because part of our business deals with social media and I need to check certain things sometimes and I need to see how certain things look from a mobile device. But, you know, one of the things I've been doing lately is especially first thing in the morning is I'll just take my phone and throw it on the couch behind me and just leave it there. So I have nothing but my computer in front of me. And, you know, once I have a few minutes, it's like, okay, I got task A, B, and C out of the way. I'll go back and grab it and then look through it a bit, throw it back and then go again and do what I need to do. Yeah. I, I, I really resonate with that. Uh, I have a, uh, I have a Fitbit that I wear all the time. And when I was setting up the Fitbit, uh, one of the questions was, Hey, you know, would you like to hook in your messages and your social media and all your other things? And I'm like, no, exactly. no, I don't want my wrist like buzzing every two seconds to where I'm like, Oh, I got to look yep. at this. Oh, this seems important. Oh, I got it. Like, I'm never going to get anything done in that situation. My phone is thing. always on the notifications off. Yep. My phone is always on silent, which means that I get to decide when I'm going to look at that. And, yep. you know, even still, sometimes it creates distractions, but you know, there's uh, if you got, if uh, for anybody listening, if you have not yet seen the social dilemma, you need to watch that. It will, it will blow your mind about how technology uh, is just basically eating away at our decency as human beings <laughs> and, and what they're doing. And then this is the best thing that I can share with you. And, and Todd, I just, I really like this point that you're making here about get this smartphone the heck away from you. Now you need to understand that this little box in your pocket, when you pull that out and you look at it on the other side of that screen is all of the most sophisticated technology on the planet, the highest level, highest grade, highest caliber AI machine learning technology is being sunk into this thing. And then the people who are designing that, you have all of the PhDs, all of the data scientists, all of the psychologists, all of the best people in the entire world are on the other side of that screen working on making this little box the most compelling thing that you can do. And if you think with your brain that has not had a firmware upgrade in more than a million years, can outsmart it, can beat it, you're wrong. So the only way that you can win is you take that phone and you turn it over or you put it in the next room or something like that, because yeah. otherwise you're fighting the most sophisticated machine in the world and all of the smartest people in the world who are all designing this thing to command your attention at all times. What was that called? The social dilemma? The social dilemma. It's a, find this? it's a documentary on Netflix. Okay. Check it out. And for anybody listening, yeah, watch it. And it will, it will definitely change your perspective about how you interact with your phone and with social media, much like in the early two thousands, when I watched super size me for the first time, the one about the guy that ate McDonald's for 30 oh, days, yeah, I dude, I stopped eating out for like two months and I dropped like 30 pounds. <laughs> yeah, man. I, awesome. I only saw like snippets of that, but I just, I, I think at that point I was just like, don't go near McDonald's anyway. <laughs> That's right. So tell me a little bit about this low voltage business. Uh, we kind of know why you're in it. There's a huge opportunity and it's growing. What do you do? Who do you serve? How do you do it? Sure. So 
residential low voltage integrators. Uh, these are guys who do uh, install security cameras, surveillance systems, uh, security monitoring. Um, you know, they do smart home integration. So, you know, uh, all the controls that control like your temperature and the lights throughout your house. Uh, they also do home theater systems and multi-room audio video setups. Uh, so it, it's essentially like the technology inside your house is what they go in and they set up. And it could be anything from, like I said, hanging a, you know, a flat screen TV on the wall to, you know, a full on, you know, $100,000 build out in your home where you can control every single room from your phone or from a little monitor that's on the wall, you know, everything from the temperature to how light it is to something turning on at a specific time and turning off at a specific time. So what we do is we do marketing for them. And the point that we try to make is not so much branding, but the purpose of it is to generate them appointments with interested prospects is really what it comes down to. Okay. Got it. And, and what are, what are some of the, what are some of the kind of tips and, and tricks of the trade that you've picked up as you've, you, you've worked with auto uh, dealers for a long time and how, how can you transfer some of that knowledge into this new industry? What are, what are some things that have been able to cross over? Well, really, I think the, the biggest thing with marketing today is, you know, you have to realize a couple of things. So first and foremost, our attention spans are a hell of a lot less than they were even five years ago. So you really have to capture someone's attention immediately. And there's different ways of doing that. And it's definitely a bit different, you know, in the car business than it is in this business. But, you know, whether you're using something like digital marketing to sell a car, to sell an installation job, to sell a candy bar, really what I've come to find out is um, it comes down to what's something I call the four rights. It's about putting the right offer in front of the right person at the right time on the right platform and done in a way that appeals to their self-interest. What were those four rights again? Same again. So the right offer in front of the right person. So in other words, you know, showing someone, uh, you know, a, a Bugatti Chiron, you know, $2 million sports car that lives in a low income area that has a 400 credit score, not the best use of your marketing dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So the right offer in front of the right person at the right time done on the right platform. Got so it. we all have platforms that we prefer over others. So it's about making sure that those three things are seen by the right person and then done in a way that appeals to their self-interest because, you know, you can, you can show a Bugatti Chiron, but if people don't know why they should buy one and what it's going to do for them, then what does it matter? It's right. like um, th there was this um, slightly sexist uh, Aston Martin ad from a few years ago, and it was this very attractive woman. She was, um, you know, wearing like a guy's button up shirt that was like half off and she was like slightly bent over looking back. And it just said uh, at the bottom, it's like, you know, you're not the first, but do you really care? Aston Martin pre-owned. I probably shouldn't laugh at that, but I'm going to. <laughs> but it's, it's it's that kind of thing. It's it's a you know you have to know the market that you're serving, and you have to put a message in front of them that appeals to their self interest. Okay, understood. And that's and that's now, and, and I'm not saying that everyone that owns an Aston Martin is a chauvinistic pig. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> 
at all. I'm just making no assumptions here. <laughs> not at all. I, I know some people that own Aston Martins. They're they're actually very very good people. Uh, not chauvinistic at all. But you know, th- the whole idea is you have to be able to capture that attention, and that ad caught plenty of attention. Whether it was good attention or bad attention, it caught attention. There's and no such thing as bad publicity. Exactly. And it put the right kind of offer in front of the right people because, you know, you're not going to put that uh, kind of an ad in uh, like a teeny bopper magazine. That's going to be in something like, you know, GQ or Maxim or something like that. So they know the audience that they're going after and they know when the right time is. Excellent. Yeah. And those and those are universal traits, you know, those those four rights. Uh, yeah. I like that. And that's and that's something that you've been able to apply and you could continue to apply in pretty much any industry. Correct. And so who who should engage with you and uh, who's who's kind of your ideal client and, and how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you know, the volt, the low voltage integrators we work with uh, tend to work in major metro areas. Um, we found that, you know, the rural areas, they don't work as well. Uh, the higher the population, excuse me, the better results we're able to get. Um, so, you know, anyone that does security systems, uh, home theaters, uh, smart home integration that lives in or close to a major metro area that is looking to build their business. You know, maybe they're doing a couple hundred grand a year. Maybe they're doing a million or two a year and they're looking to grow those numbers, uh, increase their revenue so they can better take care of their families, better take care of their employees. Maybe they're working a little bit too much in the business. They want to take themselves out and work more on the business or have a crew of people who can do the jobs for them. Those are typically the integrators that we look to work with. Uh, And then, you know, I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram. You can find me. It's uh, KiraliMarketing.com, K-I-R-A-L-Y, marketing.com. Todd at the KiraliGroup.com is the best email address to reach me at. Okay, excellent. Or um, I'm, I'm getting it rebuilt right now, but you can also go to Connect with Todd com is just a little uh, page that I have set up for, uh, you know, just some basic info and where to connect with. Okay, excellent. So appreciate that. We'll, we'll narrow it down to, to one. We'll do the KiraliMarketing.com. So K-I-R-A-L-Y marketing.com. Yes. And that's how people can reach out and get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Yeah. Or yep. connect with Todd.com. One of the two. Connect with Todd.com. Okay. No, connect with Todd. With- I, I've been compared to God. No, anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I actually said cod, but <laughs> well, I, I am a New England boy, so I guess that would kind of connect work. with cod. You better have Todd with two D's, by the way. Todd with two D's. Yes. All right. Excellent. Well, hey, Todd with two D's, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much to our guest. His name is Todd Freeman for joining us and sharing all of these wisdom bombs on how he gets stuff done. And uh, man, I really enjoyed going deep with you on a lot of this philosophical stuff. So if you guys want to learn more and connect with Todd, you can go to connectwithtodd.com and that's Todd with two Ds. Uh, If you are a busy entrepreneur looking to get to the next level, head over to thedozone.com for productivity tips, tools, and strategies. You can also join our Facebook group of the same name. Until next time, remember... We all, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? I have a job for you. 
Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at The Do Zone. Also, keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into The Do Zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? Go do something already. See you next time.